Hello, humans. I'm excited because this is it. We're finally going to launch this thing. So thank you for listening to the very first episode of the Fans First Podcast. I really appreciate your time and attention, people. My name is Scott Bertie, and this show is dedicated to featuring leaders in business, sports, and media who started out as fans first. We talk to award-winning entrepreneurs, professional athletes, high performers in business, and expert marketers in digital or social media about their life, along with the habits, tactics, and strategies that help guide them to where they are now. The first episode features Steven Sazant, who's an extremely high-performing B2B sales professional that once upon a time was also the first ever business development hire for Google Canada. Steven currently works in enterprise business development at Slack, where he is responsible for bringing Slack's mission to make people's working lives simpler, more pleasant, and more productive to life within the largest enterprises in North America. Steven has previously worked at some of the more prominent companies in tech, as I touched on, including the likes of Google and Salesforce. Steven happens to have graduated from Brock University's sport management program, hoping that he would become a future general manager in the National Hockey League, obviously. This didn't happen, but nonetheless, Steven is and will forever be a diehard sports fan. It's just one of the things that brought us together. But if you're in business, this episode is a must. And I have to acknowledge Steven again. I really appreciate him for taking the time. He's certainly not one to boast very much, but I'll gladly do that for him. He's an extremely kind human being that's empathetic and doesn't overcomplicate things too much. So no matter what you do, you'll learn from the tips, habits, and strategies that he shares in this episode. He was also the first person to ever buy me a beer in Toronto after moving here for TrueFan. So thank you, Steve, for that incredibly kind gesture. I'll never forget it. And I want to congratulate you on celebrating your one year at Slack since we first recorded this. Thank you for being patient. And for those of you who are listening, here it is. Episode one of the Fans First podcast with Stephen Sasant. Steve, my Scott. man, thank you for coming out to be on the Fans First podcast today, my bro. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Oh, dude, it's been a while since we've last spoke. Um, you're a very busy guy. As are you. Uh, I don't. I don't <laughs> know if I can bring that up to your realm. But um, for everybody who's listening, our guest today is Steve Sazant, and. The bio will have been said to this point, but do you want to just tell the people a little bit about yourself, where you come from, kind of what you stand for, maybe just a few initial values or whatever? Yeah, for sure. Uh, It's actually funny. Um, In every company that I work at, when they intro you, uh, they ask for a fun fact. So mine uh, at Slack right now is, how do you pronounce your last name? And I, you said Suzanne, which is the most common form. Everyone assumes that because that's how it's spelt. It's actually Sazant. Fun fact. Wow. I probably would have butchered that like two or three times. Just going like, I would have probably second guessed it as a French ending, like Suzanne exactly. or something like that. Um, but Sazant? Sazant. Sazant. You got it. Let's see if I can remember that one. Um, and yeah, I mean, like 
Steve just said, he works at Slack right now. Um, Steve is pretty much a trailblazer when it comes to the sales space. But before we kind of get into the business side, we're going to touch on really like what this podcast was based around, which is you are a huge sports fan. And this podcast isn't solely based on sports, but we are based around fans. And so I want to get into not necessarily your deep backstory or anything like that, but where and when did your time as like a big time sports fan begin? I think right out of the womb. I was (laughs) always born and raised a sports fan. My dad was an athlete growing up, uh, my mom as well. And growing up in that kind of family, you're always watching the hockey game on TV at nighttime. I was that kid that when I was four or five years old, um, it would be eight o'clock at night. It would be my bedtime. But I would always want to stay up and watch the game. And if I was lucky, then they would allow me to. But sports was always on our TV every single day. Um, And then in terms of when I started to actually play sports, um, probably laced up my first pair of skates at the age of maybe five or six didn't play hockey right away started playing hockey at maybe nine or ten and playing house league um and then played baseball as a kid too and uh chose to go the hockey route and played that for many many years and i don't know for as long as i can remember that was a very long-winded answer but i've been a sports fan forever oh man i think steve may be a little bit new to podcasts which is awesome this is like a kind of guest that i want to get on the show more and more but Definitely not a long-winded answer. I think I've, I've had some answers on the initial podcast question where I just kind of think back, check the watch, and I'm like, oh, my God, did I just, like, spill out a 20-minute, <laughs> you know, background story of myself? But that's good. And what small town or big city were you in Toronto growing up as a kid, or was it some of the outlying suburb? Yeah, suburb. Um, so Thornhill. Okay. Yeah, nice little community there. Uh, great childhood. Was born and raised there and actually moved uh, from Thornhill to Toronto last summer. We're coming up on a year now in July. Um, so I love the big city. So you were making a commute to and from Toronto kind of for a period of time there? Yeah. While you were starting your career here? Absolutely. Interesting. So yeah, my mom actually worked at Finch or right across from Finch Station. Um, so it was just very convenient that way. But every morning she would wake up super early for me and I would always have a ride in the morning to the subway with her. She would leave the car at her office. She would get a ride home with a friend. I would subway home at the end of the day, walk to her office and drive the car home. And we did that for, yeah, like over two years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Commitment people. I mean, can take you a far, far ways. Um, and to all the Thornhill listeners out there. Shout out to all of you. Shout out to the Thornhill people. Um, never, never heard of that place before. Any like close, um, proximity to somewhere we might know richmond hill richmond hill okay okay cool yeah and you grew up a toronto maple leafs fan no 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 so definitely who, not what, what who was uh, the main one is it montreal there you yeah go. yeah 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 i'm yeah. well born in montreal over here so i've grown up around a fair few montreal canadians fans but on the fan side of things like growing up around toronto people must have despised Montreal Canadiens fans, and especially Ottawa Senators fans, speaking of that. But mm-hmm. yeah, what, like, what was that like? Did you like go against all your buddies? And Always. You know, like you played housely growing up for most of your life. Were you ever like a, a competitive hockey player? Never competitive. I played from, uh, well, I was super competitive, but never played at a competitive level. <laughs> played from, I don't know, 10 years old until maybe 17. Um, started as kind of that scrub on the ice that had no idea what they were doing and 
grew into becoming a very good house league player, but never moved beyond that. That's what I'm talking about. And again, shout out to our house league players growing up out there. You never got the recognition you deserved. I was also a house league player growing up, so <laughs> I just have to get that one out of D the way. forward. Yeah, oh, uh, goalie, actually. So, wow. Yeah, he just gave me the same face that everybody who's listening would probably imagine. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> so what do you think of me now, Steve? No, but I knew we I had that know. one in common from, from the first time that we chatted. I'm still going to pull some answers out of you that I might know some of those answers too. But um, okay, let's let's maybe jump into something that's a little bit more career-oriented, um, but not so far into your career, where you are now, because we'll get there. But... I think one of the really unique things about you as a person, and I think something that people listening to this, um, especially in a younger demographic, potentially students could really relate to and learn from, is you put out like a framework for how you could basically climb a particular ladder and model a particular career in sports, right? So your goal was basically turning a lot of that passion for sports as a fan into what would then become, you know, your full-time living. Mm-hmm. essentially right so can you tell if you know the listeners about what that path looked like and how you kind of set yourself up to really what would have been seemingly a pretty fantastic career in sports yeah for sure um i guess i can start from a little bit of the beginning went to brock university um studied in their sport management program and um from there, I, I was obsessed with sports. I always thought that I wanted to do that as a career full time. Uh, had great internships within the industry. First year, um, interned with the Hamilton Bulldogs, who are now part of the OHL. But back when I interned there, they were in the AHL at the time. And I was an intern to their color and play-by-play broadcasters, uh, which was a lot of fun. That was a dream come true for me, especially with them being um, the farm team for the Habs at the time. Uh, and then second year, um, went to school and then in the summertime interned at TSN, I was the kind of side guy for Michael Landsberg, just reporter, um, kind of researcher type of guy, giving him all the info he needed for his guests. Uh, amazing experience. Yeah, I was going to say, this is going to be a recurring theme with Steve on this podcast, but he's going to be incredibly modest about some things that other people might just like consider an all-time career moment. <laughs> for, for those sports fans listening right now, Michael Landsberg, you probably you know, caught some of his talk shows, and he, he was often that guy who would kind of be in that between 5 to 7 p.m. slot, right? Um, exactly. Where he'd be doing those shows that are very like information-based and talking about a lot of the recent news in sports, and, and you were more or less his like executive assistant. Kind of, in a way, yeah, <laughs> in a way, just doing a ton of research. It was fun working with him because he was a super outside-of-the-box type of thinker, and obviously a media personality is that is very different from the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you work for someone like that, it allows you to get your creative juices flowing, doing some research, really, really deep digging into um, your personnel that would come onto the show, finding out these fun facts about them that when you actually press them about it, on TV, they're shocked that you even found that info out. Uh, so that was a dream come true. And I think that's where I actually got my love for prospecting. On On LinkedIn, I talk about Google, Salesforce, Slack. Um, but I think my, my creative juices in terms of writing and research came from TSN, now that I think about it. No, that's good. I mean, if I can get you thinking 
Um, I'll consider this episode a success. That's for sure. <laughs> and and then how did you transition from that moment? Like, were you in school at that time? Yeah, that that was during university. Correct. That was during university. And so you were enrolled in a bachelor's of sports management program at yep. Barack University. Yep. Okay. And what? portion of your degree program was that like were you working for michael uh that was the summer of my second year so i think it was from may until august of 2013. um so that was non-credit um just something that i wanted to do in my spare time and it was a great experience but yeah that was a summer of my second year okay interesting interesting so I mean, again, I, I'm lucky because I was fortunate enough to meet you really shortly after I moved to Toronto. Um, we were connected by the CEO Swish, uh, which was a really generous connection. And I found you completely fascinating. I wanted to get pretty much our conversation on this podcast recorded. And I know that from that point, you really started to just position everything you could in your own life in a way that it would really bring you to that you know, national sports level, um, where you'd probably be able to land a job, you know, for any of the major four sports, um, in, in an area that you wanted to, right. That was still the goal then. That was the goal. And how uh, did you, how did you go about like doing that? Because I know you, you got pretty close. So maybe kind of take the listeners through the story from that point with Michael mm-hmm. through to like where you ended up going to school in the U.S. Yep. And then how that kind of put you through to like, you know, right on the doorstep of a, a really cool sports career. Yeah, for sure. I thought I would add also um, after that internship, before that whole process, I had applied for what you said, um, doing a year in the U.S. of exchange. And uh, I ended up going to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee, the Dirty South. And big it was time sports school, too. Big time sports school, home of Peyton Manning. Oh. Uh, it, honestly, it was you know an amazing, going. amazing experience. Um, but I went there and I just wanted to have that competitive edge where not only am I uh, immersed in the sports industry from a Canadian perspective, but I wanted to get a whole taste of the NCAA and the whole American lens of sports. Uh, and I sure did. And I interned for a professional hockey team there called the Knoxville Ice Bears, and they play in the Southern Professional Hockey League. And um, my, my mantra when I was working there was, show the fans of Tennessee or the, the communities in small town Knoxville, Tennessee, the power of hockey and how it can bring everyone together. Um, mm. Had a great experience there, but uh, the general manager of the team was an NHL alumnus. Um, I believe he played one game. His name, his name is Mike Murray, um, but he played in the OHL. He had a lot of NHL connections. I ended up getting introduced to um, a scout in Buffalo um, that I ended up talking to. And um, that was when my whole career path changed. And I think you and I spoke about this, but Mm -hmm. we were in a a small local cafe and he essentially said, you like sports? I'm like, of course, I'm in a sport management program. He goes, okay, you like hockey? And I'm like, yep. And I'll add that he was a former director of hockey operations for the Boston Bruins. And, he was living in Knoxville, which was interesting. But he essentially said to me, um, if you value your family, if you want to spend a lot of time around your kids one day, if you value your friendships, and you don't want to spend 21 out of the 24 hours a day at a hockey rink, then maybe it's not for you. And I think that conversation lasted about 30 minutes. 
And that's when my whole life changed because up until the age of, I guess that conversation happened when I was maybe 21 or 20, I thought I wanted a career in sports. And within 30 minutes, I knew that that wasn't going to be my path, at least at that point. Um, but I came home, I finished my degree. Um, but great advice that I got from a professor of mine is you don't necessarily have to rush a career in sports. You want to go the general business route, get some translatable skills that you can bring back to the industry should you choose to go that path. And it just turns out that when I graduated and started working in the corporate world, I never looked back. Um, and I get to enjoy sports from a fan's perspective rather than doing that full time. I can keep it as a hobby. So that's where we are today. I love that. That's, uh, that's really interesting. And I always find it even personally fascinating because I, like you, long kind of dreamed of a career in sports and, you know, likely like would it be the NHL or NBA or NFL, you know, those big leagues. And it seems like you're, you know, the mentor at that point was essentially saying, if you jump into this, despite the fact that, you know, you did well in school, like, did you graduate with a high GBA? I would imagine so. Yep. I mean, you're a top performer in like a lot of things that you do. Uh, I, I was good academically. I wasn't the best. I definitely wasn't a standout, but I worked very hard. There's those competitive juices, you know, just comparisons. But you were in that position where despite everything you could have done in school, you'd still probably had to enter that career space as an intern or some sort of a kind of lower level of the organization, which would require those like absurd hours, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like it's either that or maybe the startup world um, where you're kind of getting pressed into those types of hours uncontrollably. Mm -hmm. So lastly, kind of before we kind of jump into the, the more business side of what we're going to speak about, because that, that is why I brought you on. I mean, you're a sports fan, um, diehard, all that be it, you know, but you've really become a leader in the business world. Um, like I just mentioned, you're a top performer uh, and you have been kind of since you started down that business development route. But would you have any kind of advice or um, thoughts to lend listeners that are younger and kind of still thinking about a career in sports? you know, just more personally as it relates to all of your experiences through school and even going into that type of program, albeit like sports management or even a co-op program down in the States? Absolutely. Um, I would say put yourself out there, reach out to as many people as you can and network. Um, that's exactly what I did. And I had lots of great conversations with professionals in the industry, um, those that are still mentors to me to this day. Mm. But had I not spoken to them, I wouldn't have come to that realization that maybe the industry wasn't for me at the time. Um, had I not had that conversation in Knoxville at a cafe with that form, a former director, I wouldn't have been in my current situation because True. I probably would be pursuing that path or maybe I wouldn't. I, I have no idea, but I would say network, 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 have these conversations, learn from people who have done it before, and then maybe you'll come to that realization faster, whether it's for you or not. Hmm. Listeners into this podcast, they're going to hear LinkedIn a lot, no doubt. Um, yes. Like I th we both like to play there. I think a lot of the guests that will come on um, particularly like that platform. And, you know, that's the ecosystem that they're kind of involved with the most. Would you say in the networking space on the sports side that there's particular channels or resources uh, that would be more effective or suitable? Um, I what I did was go on to different sports league or team websites, look up the management and, and kind of personnel that were employed there mm. and then 
try to guess their email addresses. Um, even when I was trying to go for internships during my university years, I never did it through the university. I always went out and did it on my own. And you got to go and prospect those people and find their emails. So true. Uh, we're really leading down the sales path. We're, we're almost there, folks. Um, but, it, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I was actually having a conversation with somebody who's in the same space as we are at TrueFan. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much on the social analytics side or anything that, like related to data, but they plant automated cameras or like machine cameras in stadiums to capture specific points of view. It starts with a B, right? I'm trying to remember the name. Yeah, Brizzy yes. or something along those lines. Yes. It's like a prospect for him, for him right now. We'll see. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, really cool company. And she was actually telling me, she's like, we haven't even gone down the route of like a sales intelligence software or something like that because she finds that they list all of the like management down, um, employees for the company on sports pages. Like you just kind of dig a little bit, but you typically find it. And that's not really common for like organizations to just list out like their entire staff on some sort of web page that's public to everybody because then. Ultimately, if you're somebody who's prospecting for networking or for business, well, you kind of have a lot of the information that you need to go off of. And then it's just really finding the emails or the contact info. Absolutely. That's a good point. Um, And and lastly, I I really did want to dig into this quickly. If you could answer, you know, in a short um, way, what's the difference between, you know, maybe your three and a half or four years at Brock and that semester was it a semester or full year full year, full year yeah full year um that you did down in knoxville tennessee um at brock i was living at home and in tennessee i was way outside of my comfort zone and i think that's where i really really grew into the person that i've become now um yeah i think brock i was comfortable i was at home with all of my fellow hockey fans mm. some of them being habs fans a lot of them being Leaf fans <laughs> Um, but as soon as I went to Knoxville, I didn't have my significant other with me. I didn't have my family with me. I didn't have any of my close friends with me. I had to start from scratch. So in short, um, that experience really taught me what it was like to live on my own for the first time, Hmm. uh, outside of Canada in an environment that was completely different and gave me a whole lot of culture shock. And I grew up a lot as a person in that one year. Uh. That's a really good response. I was thinking more so on like how immersed in the sports space you would be. But you know what? I think that speaks a lot to the answer is ultimately you realizing that that's a pretty common growth pattern, I think, for people when they really push themselves outside of their comfort zone. Um, And given the fact that you were striving to really entrench yourself in that sports space, you were able to find opportunities in Canada or in the States. Oh yeah, for sure. So yeah, there's not a lack of opportunity in Canada as it relates to developing a career in sports. For those of you out there who are wondering. Now, as we kind of more transition to like the latter half of your career, more or less the start of it, um, (laughs) you then went from the program graduating and followed that up with your first business development role. No, so I worked in advertising first. Okay. Um, My girlfriend's cousin had worked at the agency, um, and I was looking for a full-time role, my first one, and I ended up getting in there uh, and spent about 10 or 11 months there, um, and it was with an agency called GTB, and it was great, and it really taught me how to have strong work ethic, but I just realized very quickly that that industry wasn't particularly suited for me. Um, Any particular reasons? um, I just wasn't feeling fulfilled with what I was doing on a day to day. Mm. 
Um, and when you feel that way, it, it's a terrible feeling in your gut and you don't want that to last. And that's essentially what made me realize that you need to do what you're passionate about. And that was a great first experience in the corporate world. And, um, yeah, I worked hard there, but it just wasn't for me. So that was my first experience in advertising. Um, from there, that's when I got my first start in BD. So um, left a full-time role in advertising to take on an internship at Salesforce, which arguably is one of the top sales companies out there in terms of cultivating talent. Um, and I spent a great four or five months there, met a lot of great people, happened to be in the right place at the right time. And um, from there, ended up transitioning into um, a full-time role at Google as uh, their first business development representative in the Canadian market that was sitting in Toronto and started with another colleague of mine who we were BDRs for two years together there. Um, and then after those two years came to Slack. But first time in BD was Salesforce um, through an internship, which I would recommend to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Valuable advice that you're giving out there. And I really appreciate that. Um, maybe hopping backwards quickly, because you, you kind of touched on at the point where there was this inflection of your ambitions in the sports world to more so leading you down. I guess you could call it more of a prototypical path in business, like business development. It's got to be one of the most, if not, you know, most employed positions like across you know all the different positions you can have in sales but you pretty quickly like fell in love with sales if i remember correctly i did yeah and was that like something leading up to that point that you'd kind of seen yourself in or like on the family side like maybe you'd had some recommendations from mom and dad um, just given your personality it's a great question uh growing up i was always that anxious very quiet kid um, so in short, I never imagined in a million years that I would work in sales because like, I don't know, I, you think about that typical salesperson and someone that calls you, you're at home at eight o'clock and they call you out of the blue and you're annoyed with them yeah, or they sound so happy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not happy to get their call. And I didn't want to be one of those people, but I was very wrong in terms of how I actually viewed them in the past to what I now know as being some of the top professionals in the world. Yeah. from a biased lens. Um, but my dad was a salesperson, uh, 40 plus years in the industry, still is to this day, always wanted me to go that path. I always said no. Um, when I told him after that Knoxville conversation mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to pursue sports anymore, he was so happy. Like, I don't know if he was happy, but it was one step closer towards him realizing or maybe Steven, like you're, you're going to wind up down this path whether you like it or not yeah, you saw the future a little bit there um and you touched on the fact too that you you know when you finished i, I suppose that initial stint at salesforce um you became one of the first bdrs in the canadian market here for google yeah what was that like just personally did it feel like an overwhelming achievement did it still feel like you had a lot of work to do because i think you know, people listening to this, they hear the word Google and they automatically associate that with an extremely high degree of excellence. Um, and I'm, it's not to say that that's wrong, right? Like I, I know you and, you know, I'm fortunate to know you. I can learn from you as well because you actually execute um, on a very high level, you know, day in, day out. But 
was that like some sort of moment for you personally where, where you had felt like you'd kind of broken through? Yeah. Um, it was my first time in my life where as someone growing up who lacked self-confidence, um, the fact that I made it to that point so early in my career, um, I was incredibly proud of myself. And that's what, that was a rare moment for me. It's still rare for me to be proud of myself because I'm mm. very competitive naturally. Yeah. And, um, that was a moment where I took a step back and I was like, okay, you're doing all the right things. Just keep going, but never settle for less. And that's something that my brother always instilled mm. in me at a very young age, seven years older than me, obviously very wise. Um, and he always said, nev never settle for less. And that was something I took with me at Google. It was day one there. And I knew that the work wasn't done and I just needed to show them what I could do. Hmm. I love that. The never settle for less part, I recall you kind of bringing that up in our conversation and, and also as it relates to knowing your value, understanding the value that you bring to an organization the longer that you're kind of around business and you've been working, you know, in a particular industry or environment. Um, what, you know, was really translatable because you starting with Salesforce, you talked about it. They're probably one of the most premier sales organizations and, and even, you know, fortune companies in the world. Mm -hmm. um, what were some of the translatable skills that really gave you that, you know, knowing that even just stepping into those shoes um, at a role like you did in Google, you, you kind of had some of those traits and skills um, that you had built up and really developed, honed in on at Salesforce, which you could then apply to Google and potentially then later on at Slack. First of all, for everyone listening here, watching Scott navigate this conversation live is fascinating. So doing a phenomenal job. Oh, thanks, man. Um, I would say at Salesforce, I really learned how to write well. Um, I always liked writing, but I was able to learn how to tell a story. Um, and when working at Salesforce as an intern, supporting a group of BDRs, I was able to learn many different styles of how they were approaching their day to day. And um, it allowed me to come to a realization of which, I guess, molds do I fit best. Uh, it was a great four months, even though short, it, it was a great learning opportunity for me. It was essentially like a four month MBA. Um, yeah. So from that point, I was able to really learn I'm a relationship builder. I'm a storyteller. And how can I combine those two things into an approach at Google uh, and later on at Slack where it could set me apart? Um, and that's what built my strategy of just being that guy that when a sales professional is get or any kind of CEO or VP is getting 40 emails a day from vendors, I want to be that one that stands out from the rest. I was able to learn that at Salesforce, which is be a storyteller, be relatable, be personable. Don't be a salesperson, just be a human. And I learned that at Salesforce. Hmm. Wow. I hope that all of their employees are leaving with that <laughs> well-rounded knowledge. I mean, it's unfortunately not that easy, but um, it, you know, it shows how I think a focus on perspective uh, and the willingness to not only understand that and allow it to shape a little bit of your knowledge um, and opinions and attitudes, skills, different things like that, but also execute on that perspective and not be like shy about trying new things is just incredibly important. I think like it, it applies to life in so many ways. Absolutely. I think it's all about experimentation. I was able to do a lot of that. So you, you kind of had the freedom there essentially. Absolutely. So you, you, yeah. It's kind of building up those best practices and then applying those once you had that more full time, um, full, full time role. 
so so fascinating because you, you touch on terms that even right now are probably like some of the most key buzzwords in marketing you know what i mean and obviously relationship building and sales as we know is everything mm-hmm. it's it's everything even when you're applying for jobs and speaking to all of the traits you know for a salesperson that can also be applied directly to life do you agree that like sales is one of those areas in the business world that really has so many applications to everyday life regardless of whether you're involved with the career path or not for sure um i think it's a cliche thing to say but you're selling yourself every single day um and i think that salespeople are incredibly fortunate to be working i believe from a biased perspective in the best profession in the world if you're really good at it and it can be a huge roller coaster too of tons of ups and downs and very emotional whirlwinds if things aren't going your way but when things are going your way it's a hell of a ride it's a lot of fun even if you're not in the industry, you are always selling yourself, your personal brand, just like you do on LinkedIn. And I'm trying to do more of, um, you're always selling. So yeah, whether yeah. you're in the industry or not, sales is everything. It's what makes the world go around. Yeah, I could not agree more. I'm glad that, you know, you just talked on that front for a little bit. I think it's important to touch on, although it might get said, you know, fairly often, or you kind of hear that correlation with life and sales but um you know one of the things that always sticks out to me the most is people who act as though they really desire a certain job um, but they're only willing to do the status quo and throw in a resume you know in with a stack Mm -hmm. like they don't want to go out and build relationships or find people that may have worked within an organization that could help them do that and then more than anything when they do have the opportunity to speak with the decision maker they go in talking about what's on the resume Mm -hmm. rather than the value and the benefits that the organization is going to get as a result of them stepping foot in that environment right great yeah yeah it's kind of crazy um now i do have some like other questions that i kind of wanted to ask so steve um, for those of you all still listening thank you first off for continuing to stay with us we try and keep these things to about an hour um or a little bit less and you know actually steve's on here (laughs) on a really intricate day here in toronto the raptors have their second chance in the last week to walk away with their first ember nba championship are you excited man Oh my God. Or just like heart pounding nervous. Mixture of both. Wanted it last game. They had it. They had it. But I'll I'll keep those opinions to myself. But um, no, it's very exciting. It's great for the city of Toronto. Um, We've never experienced something like this before. And personally for me, as a Habs fan, I'm not able to celebrate all of our wins with Toronto folks. (laughs) It's so true. But now that... I'm on the Raptors bandwagon um, with the rest of Toronto. I can finally celebrate with my city. And that's what's been really special for me. So I hope they win tonight. Yeah, 100%. And it has been huge for Toronto. The Quine and Dine stickers everywhere around yeah. the city. And just not to take away from what Steve said there, but we'll, we'll be celebrating with all of Canada 
when they win the championship, not just Toronto. Absolutely. Although Toronto will be going a lot crazier than any of those other cities around Canada. So, um, yeah, just stay off Young Street tonight. Ugh, uh, I live right off of Young Street. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's tough. Would you walk outside if they won tonight? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's worth it. Absolutely. I see that. It's true. Um, and predictions for the game? <laughs> man. When you were never going to get out of this podcast without that question. Oh, man. Raptors in six. Yeah, how how can they? Not? That would be the perfect Toronto story. Raptors in six in the six, or tick, no, they're in Oracle tonight. It's going to be their last game there. But Raptors in six, which is also awesome. I would love to see, you know, no offense to all those people living in Golden State, but all of the fans walking out of the stadium just Bummed. so sad about three losses in a row, and I think it's now four. It would be four mm-hmm. that they've stolen at Oracle. Um, dating back to the regular season, which is like record-breaking in itself, mm-hmm. considering the run that they've been on. But it's, anyway, it's our time. It is our time. Let's go Raptors. Tonight is huge, and so on that note, we're going to continue on with this podcast so Steve can actually get out of here and get home and watch <laughs> the game. But he has this bio line on his LinkedIn profile um, that goes like this. I always tell people that I first discovered my love for business development at Salesforce figured out my style at Google, and now get to make some serious magic happen with Slack. That is so, so on point. Why is that? Why is it that, you know, I I think they can relate back to the skills that you were able to then bring over to Google and really where you probably honed in on some of those things that you knew were incredibly important to the sales process, especially in the B2B space. Mm -hmm. Why is it that you position it like that so now you make... you get to make some serious magic happen with Slack. Because I've worked at two incredible companies that taught me core fundamentals on how to become the salesperson that I am today. And now at company number three, where I'm incredibly passionate about them, where I've done this role before for a couple of years and I know what it takes to be successful in it, it's time to apply everything that I've learned over the past few years and just make it all happen here. Uh, and it's an exciting time to be with the company. So it, it, it's uh, honestly, I, I'm thinking now, just reflecting, I'm very happy with where my career has taken me. And I'm very privileged and fortunate to be there. Dude, you're such a stand-up guy. And, you know, you talked about fulfillment a little earlier. You can obviously just hear it from your voice and the way you're speaking about what you're doing right now. You're fulfilled right you have to be fulfilled you have to believe in the product that you're selling every day or else it's going to be an absolute nightmare um in the moment that you're not passionate about what you're preaching every single day there's a bit of an issue um so i'm incredibly passionate about what i do yeah that's huge i'm a huge believer that i think I, i i put this in a linkedin post today but there's this kind of rhetoric of hard work leading to success, which then in turn leads people to happiness. It's like, yeah, because you're successful, you're going to be happy, which in reality is all BS, in my opinion. I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe, maybe you disagree, which would be interesting for the discourse of this conversation, but it's actually the other way around. You flip that over, and I think it's applying to exactly who you are and what you represent um, in a very serious B2B sales space. But if you are happy, and ultimately that like a huge part of that comes from fulfillment and passion. But if you're happy, success doesn't seem like something that's far out. It feels like you're already successful with what you're doing. And naturally that hard work 
then becomes so much easier and almost natural. Would you agree? I definitely agree. And people have varying definitions of what success actually means. Mm -hmm. um, I guess for what it's worth for me, success is waking up every morning, not feeling like you're being forced to get out of bed, but rather you're excited to get your day started. Um, I, like that's the pinnacle of success for me. And like you said, you're working hard, but it doesn't feel that way. You're having fun. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely agree with your, your, your point spot on. Definitely not my point. I'm just going to make note that I did steal that from another <laughs> podcast that I listened to and I never recall who is the one that shout actually out to dropped whoever that they are. Yeah. Shout out to that person. Um, love listening to podcasts and collecting perspective. Um, it's just so much out there nowadays and there's so many brilliant minds that are, you know, basically verbal diarrhea all of their mental um, capabilities and, and the things that they've been through, the strategies, tactics. And that's exactly part of what we're trying to hone into on this podcast. But it's just a world full of resources. So, you know, silly if you're not taking advantage of those resources. But what would you say, you know, you are a top performer at sales in biz dev in specific. Like, what would you say are some key insights and tactics that people listening to this conversation that either are in sales or plan to develop a career in the space can take with them and implement to become a top former? Uh, that's a good question. I would say really understand your customer first and foremost. Like if you think about it, if, if someone's trying to sell you something, I don't care about what you do. I care about how can you help me out with my current situation. Um, so you got to understand how does your customer make money? what keeps them up at night what are they focused on this year like just do a deep discovery before you even hold discovery with them just create a mind map or write down a two or three page google doc which i do for most of my calls ahead of time so i can prepare two or three pages sometimes wow yeah if i have a good feeling about how that call is going to go then i want to make sure i'm really prepared because the more you know about their business the more credible you come across to them and you want to be a trusted advisor. That's what salespeople should be. Um, so on every call that I have, I want to make sure that they're listening to me because they trust me. And that's how I would want to view someone who were pitching their idea to me. I want to be able to trust them. So that's definitely a key strategy for me. Understand their business, understand who you're selling to, and be confident that you can help them solve the issue that they're trying to solve. Yeah, well, well said. Um, if you are an SDR out there, please don't be writing two or three pages on every single cold call that you're going to be making tomorrow. Um, however, on the flip side, that is a hell of a nugget. I actually didn't even realize that people were out there doing that. So it just I'll, goes I'll to clarify, show. these are not for cold calls. These are for calls that I've already booked yeah. <laughs> and will be holding discovery with them to learn more about their business. For cold calls, I'll look at their website for like 30 seconds to a minute. I'll have a good idea on what they do and how they make their money. And then from there, I'll call them. And usually what I like to do and our team does it every Wednesday is kind of like a one hour power hour call blitz where you're calling a bunch of different companies that play in the same space. So that way your talk track is consistent and you're not jumping from CPG to media to retail to telecom. You're staying within one vertical. That way your message is consistent. You'll have more momentum that way and you won't be scrambling all over the place. So that's another tactic. Dude, thank you. This is, you're spilling out nuggets right now. Um, and you know, on the note of cold calling, somebody in your position, like it's like, hey, he's worked at Salesforce, he's worked at Google, 
He's now working at Slack. These are some of the high grossing companies and certainly have been the scale up companies almost of our generation, some of them. Um, are you in a position right now where you'd say you're beyond cold calling? No, I'm still cold calling. Cold calling is not dead. Do you love that? I love it. Oh man, you gotta be passionate about cold calling. Don't get into a career in cold calling or any of that. Or even if you're an intern in an organization and you're thinking about how you wanna have an impact in on, on that organization, if you are not into calling people that don't expect nor want to hear from you, don't put yourself in a position where you're gonna fail and be miserable. Agreed. Okay, good. Um, now, there's, there's a couple of other things that we'll get into quickly, and then we'll, we'll start to wrap things up here. Um, I guess I want to jump into, just quickly, it, it could be some internal tools over there at Slack right now that you guys are using, but when you are building out you know, pre-discovery call um, or meeting in person sometimes as well, some notes and, and really a list of resources that you can memorize or just have in front of you if you are on a call. Where do you particularly look? Um, what are the tools other than just the website, you know, the company, maybe other than LinkedIn, like are there tools out there that you, you use for that type of stuff? Um, definitely Sales Navigator. That would be number one, okay. LinkedIn's paid product. Um, and then every morning I'll go onto Google and just search up some top tier companies that I'm that I'm looking to pursue. And I'll, I'll see if there's any relevant news that I can cater to my messaging. Um, that way it shows that I'm doing my homework and I'm keeping up to date with their business. Um, so I would definitely say the two most predominantly that I'm using every day are LinkedIn Sales Navigator and Google Search. And then sometimes if I'm in a really good mood and I really want to get in touch with somebody, I'll see if they have a Twitter account, a Facebook account, um, an Instagram account, maybe see what their main interests are in their personal lives and use that to a psychological benefit where I can speak their language and they're more prone to respond that way. Mm. Just getting in touch as a human being, starting mm -hmm. the dialogue. You got to be a human. You got to be yeah. someone who's going to start a relationship. And when you're going through a sales cycle, you're very much a business partner with this person. You want to work with someone that you respect and they need to feel that same way about you. Um, so you got to show them that you're a human behind the computer or the cold call, but you're still a person that my dad says this all the time. You wake up every morning, you put your boxers on the same way that the CEO of ABC company does. Yeah. You're both human. So play that card. It's a great point, man. You're going to do some incredible things in this lifetime. You're wise beyond your years, clearly. Oh, please. Um, yeah. <laughs> I well, appreciate that, I think pe people listening will probably agree with me. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys heard, but he just mentioned every morning he typically takes a look at the Google News and picks up on some recent happenings. So that could be something you want to throw into your routine. Speaking of routines, are there certain things that you can't get up and have a normal day without or that really help with you know being a top performer or just the day-to-day? Um, I treat fitness really seriously. So it's not at the beginning of my day, but after my days on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I always make my way to the gym. Um, just, I guess on a personal level up until a couple of years ago, I always grew up overweight and I was sick of that lifestyle. And I just naturally felt a whole lot better when I started to work out and watch what I was eating. So, um, my fitness regimen is a huge, huge thing that I credit towards my success and being in the right mindset. Um, and then sales professional to sales professional coffee. I need my coffee. Uh, man, I'm having one right now. It's like 6 PM or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. There's, there's so many 
you know, mental and physical fitness um, that you you can focus on. And I think you, you touched on eating as well. Um, I think that just working out probably has a huge impact, obviously not only on the physical, but it's really a mental stimulant, of course. Um, and I'm a Monday, Wednesday, Friday guy too, so. It's yeah. a good gym split. Yeah, props to that. Oh, yeah. Um, so you're, he, this is pretty fascinating too. You know, I touched on this line that he has as his bio on LinkedIn. Um, I don't think you're currently taking this program. I believe you've, you may have already completed it, but just correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but you had or are currently taking the business program at Harvard Business School. Yes. Referred to as... A certification in negotiation mastery, unlocking value in the real world and international business. Quite the title. It's, it's a badass title. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta be honest. Um, what's that been like? Like, you know, Harvard Business School, maybe one pillar of that. Um, what has the course on negotiation been like? And really, like, how do you think negotiation is a key in sales? Yeah, for sure. Um, I wrapped up that program back in April. Um, it lasted from January to April, went through a whole application process, got accepted. Um, but I'm also very fortunate that I'm in, um, a company right now that treats professional development very seriously. So mm -hmm. they actually give us funds that we can put towards courses and that will help develop our careers naturally in sales. Negotiation is core to that. Um, so I wanted to number one, immerse myself in that world and get to know that world a bit more. But number two, I wanted to do it at an amazing institution. And Harvard is that. Um, got to learn from some great guest speakers. I think the the best one was Chris Voss. I don't know if you've read Never Split the Difference, uh, but he was a former uh, FBI hostage negotiator. Um, there, were, there was a lot of cool content in that course that really taught you the science and the art behind negotiation that I wouldn't have otherwise known had I not taken that course. I feel like I work for Harvard right now pitching this course, but um, if you if you <laughs> that's, do that's okay. If you do have the resources, I would strongly recommend applying and throwing your hat in the ring because I learned a lot from that program. Yeah, interesting. Were you able to set foot on campus at all? No, unfortunately not. So they had um, a seminar or a get a get together in I believe it was May, but it was sold out, and I couldn't uh, take the time off from work. But it was in Boston. I would have loved to be there. Hopefully next time. Yeah, well, you're an alumni now. I am. You, right? Technically, so you, so yeah. You like walk up on campus. And I've, I've technically oh, yeah. I went to here. Harvard. Yeah, I've been here. <laughs> um, all right. Well, you know, let's, let's slowly wrap this up. I mean, I want to make one little note of the fact that, you know, I hope you've kind of realized by now if you're listening, Steve is very well accomplished, but wow, incredibly modest um, and almost every way of the word and one thing whether it be on the harvard side um, or your career growth that you have not done is let up or stay stagnant um, you're always pushing forward and you're always looking for a little bit of a new frontier to conquer um, that will add to your skill set and both grow um, you on the professional development side mm -hmm. and on personal development um, so I really think that's something that people should take with them. Um, yeah, I, look, I don't really have too many other questions for you. Um, I, I'm, I am curious, you know, your dad is in sales. Yep. Is he close to retirement? Yes. Within the next 
couple years. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he, uh, I think it's close to that time. He's well accomplished. And your mom was an athlete? My mom played baseball, I believe, growing up. Oh, okay. Growing up. Uh, for those that can't see me right now, I'm five foot two. I get my height <laughs> from my mother, who is four foot ten. She might be four foot nine. I'm not too sure. Small but mighty. Give her an inch. Yeah. Yeah, give her. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, she, um, uh, both of them, I think, instilled a great amount of values in me that I think I've taken a long way in my career. And that's where I am today because of them. And you are dating somebody, you have a, a somewhat long-time partner? Yes, for almost eight years now. Carly, shout out to you. Hey, shout out to Carly. You are somehow keeping this man afloat despite what must be a chaotic schedule. I give her so much credit. She's a, I give her a ton of credit. She's a senior kindergarten teacher right now. Oh my goodness. And while she's running around with 20 plus kids every day, I'm running around with adults every day we live completely different lives but we come home at the end of the day we support one another and she keeps me going for sure yeah you seem to have a really strong personal life and i think you would keep that close to you um and going back to the start of our conversation you know the sports world given the fact that you may have had to start out on like a 20 hour week or start day yeah oftentimes um you know maybe you wouldn't be in this particular situation but you know kudos to you man you, you seem very fulfilled um, and I think you you understand, you know, the importance of love um, and self-love um, because really that's like fulfillment is what we're all searching for out there. It's proven by science. Yeah, like definitely. Born. All right, Steve, I think we should wrap this up because first off, the Raptors are going to be playing like three hours so then we have like the appropriate time to get home. But thank you so much. Is there anything before leaving um, that you would want to part by leaving the audience with? Don't be afraid to experiment. Uh, put yourself out there. Um, and you're too young to not take any risks. So just keep doing your thing. Never settle for less. I'll end on that. Never settle for less. Yeah. You're not a guy who settles, man. Good for you. Um, for those of you who want to find Steve, I will have that in the outro, but is there any particular place that they should get in touch with you, whether it be for business or maybe mentorship? Yeah. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, Steven Sazent. Sazent. Yeah, we'll leave that to you to spell. Just kidding. It will be in the show notes. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And Steve, thank you so much for making the time today, man. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the end. You made it. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Fans First podcast today. If you enjoyed the episode, love the guest, or learned something new, please tell us. Subscribe and leave a review or... Tag us in a story on Instagram with the hashtag fansfirst so more people can find the podcast and get value from it like you did. If you want to find Steve on social media, that's pretty easy. I'd recommend finding him on Instagram or especially LinkedIn where I know he's spending the bulk of his time. And you can use his name, Steven, S-T-E-V-E-N, Sazent, S-A-Z, or a Z for you Americans, A-N-T, S-A-Z-A-N-T. That's Stephen Sacent, people. This podcast is made possible by TrueFan, and believe me, I'm grateful to be the beneficiary of this company podcast. Look up TrueFan, that's T-R-U-F-A-N, on social media or the internet nearest you to learn more about our web platform and services. If you have any questions regarding today's show or have recommendations for future episodes, please hit me up on Instagram or send a personalized connection request on LinkedIn. 
I'm on all the social media sites. You can find me anywhere and I will make sure to get back to you. Otherwise, come back for more again soon. Really appreciated having you. Later. Later.